Thank you so much for joining us today on the Chris Ann Hall Show. We have a great show for you today. Today, I'm going to show you what I learned from NBC about the Southwest airline pilot strike. We are also going to talk very briefly about Juneteenth. I promised to do that for you on Monday, but things happened in our schedule. I didn't get to do a show on Monday, so we're going to cover that today. And then our big story today is a Supreme Court opinion that was just recently released where the Supreme Court has overturned a law in Maine restricting the state government from giving tax dollars to Christian schools. I will show you from a constitutional and principled perspective why that happened that way in a 6-3 opinion from the Supreme Court and why that's a danger to your religious liberty. So those are the stories that are on tap today, and Christian is behind the steering wheel about our, our control panel back there. So let's get started, Christian, with the Southwest Airline pilot strike. Now, it's interesting. I came across this article, more than 1,300 Southwest Airline pilots march on picket lines saying they're overworked and underpaid. I should be in full disclosure tell you that JC gave me this article. I didn't pull it up. And, you know, we we fly very regularly. We have flown very regularly for uh, doing this ministry where we travel, teach, where we do the constitutional training for 12 years for the first for seven of those years. We averaged about 260 classes in only 20 in in over 22 states every single year. So we were in airplanes and we were in hotels more than we were in cars and at home. And we flew primarily, still fly primarily southwest. The customer service was always top notch. And of all the airlines that I have flown, because I didn't fly exclusively Southwest, there were some places that I needed to go that Southwest couldn't get me directly. But of all the airlines that I've flown over these last 12 years, Southwest was the most reliable with the best customer service. I don't know, other than, you know, wanting the perks of of first class and whatever pretended privilege they they seem to give you on other airlines uh, for frequent flyers. Uh, I don't understand why a business traveler would fly anything but Southwest. This isn't a Southwest commercial, mind you. But I just want you to understand, Southwest as an airline, my decision wasn't done without proper research and experience. I mean, as a business traveler, sometimes my plans changed very quickly and on very short notice. And Southwest Airlines was the only airlines that would not penalize us for canceling flights 10 minutes before they're about to take off, allowing us to use that without any diminished credit whatsoever on a new flight. Southwest Airlines, 
personnel, their travel agent department, whatever you call them, where they book your flights, the nicest, kindest, going out of your way kind of, of people. So when I tell you that what I have experienced in the last six months with Southwest Airlines, I know is happening all across the country with all the airlines, is just so far out of character, but I know why this is happening. Flights canceled, flights delayed. Southwest Airlines, that never happened in 12 years. I can count on one hand, maybe, the number of times flights were canceled or flights were delayed. And now in the last six months, it has become a regularity, almost an expected thing. It's part of the reason why our plans to travel and to teach are being completely revamped because there's no reliability in the airlines anymore. None at all. And I cannot afford with the schedule that I have to spend two days, like coming home from Oregon this last time, two days flying home. It ate up an entire work day for me. I can't do it. It's just not practical. There's not enough money to make me do that. And most of what we do is, is mission work. So we're not getting paid what our expenses are anyway. So I read this article with anticipation of, you know, some more information of why more than 1,300 Southwest Airline pilots march on, on a picket line, because I already know part of the story. The delays, the cancellations, because they lack pilots. Even Southwest Airlines, they lack pilots to fly the planes. They lack crew to serve the planes. They lack maintenance people to service the planes. So when maintenance delays in planes are happening more often, not because the planes are falling apart, but because when there's a light or a glitch or something, there's nobody there to fix it. So I'm reading this article and I'm wondering, am I really going to see um, NBC tell us why this is really happening? Why this is really happening? So it says here, the pilots of Southwest have been in contract negotiations with the company for more than two years, duh, uh, toward a new contract, adding that pilot fatigue rates have reached an all-time high. Why have pilot fatigue rates reached an all-time high? Okay, so here's the thing. Oh, and this is what what the uh, Southwest says for 51 years, we've maintained a legend. We've maintained a legendary Southwest culture that honors our valued employees. And that's true. I mean, you can't have good customer service and, and, and good, happy customers. If your employees are angry and disgruntled and bitter, it doesn't happen. So staffing shortages have been compounded by two converging forces. I want you to hear this. Staffing shortages have been compounded by two converging forces. An overwhelming surge in travel, thanks to global ease of pandemic restrictions, and the summer getaway season. The Transportation Security Administration said it's processing 
its highest numbers of passenger screenings since 2019. Additional traffic plus lower numbers of pilots and flight crews have translated to serious headaches for travelers. Notice they have yet to mention why there are lower numbers of pilots and flight crews. It says, but some of the pilots are pointing the fingers at the airlines. Captain KCA Murray, a pilot and president of the Southwest Airlines Pilot Association, said previously the pilots have been, quote, under a lot of stress for the past year. Duh. Noting that frequent flight reassignments have left pilots feeling fatigued and frustrated. At least 30% of the pilots are being reassigned every day. He said Southwest Airlines has about 9,600 pilots, but declined to say how many more it needs to hire to address the shortage. Why is there a shortage? This whole article, I've, I've, I've nearly reached the bottom. And I will tell you, you can reach the bottom and you will never see why there's a shortage. You will never see why they've been in contract negotiations the last two years. You will never see why the pilots have been under such enormous stress for the last year. Why have they been under enormous stress for the last year? Because for the last year, they've been bullied and threatened They've been abused emotionally, professionally because of the jab. We have a, such an exodus from the pilot profession of people who refuse to take the mandates. Refused. Same with the crews. Not to mention the fact that there is documented adverse reactions to those who've actually complied. Pilots with heart conditions, a pilot passing out, you know, you can't have pilots with heart conditions flying planes. Adverse reactions. And let's not forget that compliance did not equal immunity. As a matter of fact, even the CDC has now released documents and, and studies that compliance may actually have diminished immunity, where natural immunity was actually better. So you have this whole article talking about 1,300 Southwest Airline pilots marching on a picket line for better treatment because there aren't enough pilots and not a single mention about why there's not enough pilots and why there's not enough crew. Why are they having this shortage? You know, the media can refuse to talk about it. The people can stick their head in the sand. The politicians can play the deny, 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 deny game. But the reality still exists and the reality will not change until we receive and accept the reality and start employing solutions. You're not going to fix this problem. It's only going to get worse. What was that 12-step that program 
by Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, uh, knowing the problem is the first step to finding the cure slash solution. If you're not willing to identify the problem, Southwest, if you're not willing to identify the problem, NBC, if the people are not willing to recognize the problem, then this is, I just hate to be the bearer of bad news. This is not going to change. It's not going to get better. It's not. So in the meantime, you've got to ask yourself, what's all the hush? I mean, you know, you can talk about, you know, follow the money and you can talk about all this other stuff, right? You can talk about it all day long, but the bottom line is this. You can't deal with the problem. You cannot create a solution to a problem you're willing to not willing to recognize. And that's what we have to do. So, you know what? Follow the money, whatever. What's the real, what's, what's the real, real motivation? And I can tell you, money or no money, in my humble opinion, the real motivation is all about control. Controlling who flies, where they fly, when they fly, how they fly. How can I say this? Because I'm a student of history. And I know all too well the communist takeover of Russia. If you want that kind of education as well, if you want to know what's in here, people always saying, Chris, I want to duplicate you. If you want to duplicate what's here, libertyfirstsociety.com is where you need to go. Go ahead, Cole, uh, go ahead, Christian, play that clip. One thing to realize there's something that needs to be done. But there's a whole nother thing in knowing what it takes to stand. You've got to count the cost. way you can do that is if you are filled with truth and filled with courage. Samuel Adams said, no people will tamely surrender their liberties nor be easily subdued when knowledge is diffused and virtue is preserved. He said, but on the contrary, when the people become universally ignorant and debauched in their manners, they will sink underneath their own weight without the aid of foreign invaders. It's got to be bigger than you. It's got to be bigger than now. It's got to be about our future. your liberty and stay who you are because God wove that into your spirit and made you free. Liberty First Society, the education that we should be giving in the schools. Liberty First Society, Education, so simple that a sixth grader can get it. 
but with such depth and detail that the serious scholar will also learn more than they can ever imagine. So if you're a member already of Liberty First Society, thank you so much for membering with us. Is that even a word, Christian, membering? <laughs> I don't know. Thank you for being a member with us. If you're not, what are you waiting for? Education is the key to knowing the solutions. Knowing the solutions is empowering yourself to be free. So this is the section that I want to talk to you about Juneteenth just a little bit. I don't want to belabor this, and I really don't want to give it more attention than it, than it ought to. So let me just start off by saying, you know what? Celebrate your Juneteenth. I, I, you know what? You celebrate your birthday. I'm not going to tell anybody they can't celebrate something. My problem with celebrating Juneteenth is not that people are celebrating, that it's government-endorsed. Okay, it's it's a federal holiday. That's my problem. This should be like a separation of church and state issue. And I will tell you from the get go, there's a problem with how we do this anyway. And I don't know if we want to, you know, call this put on your tinfoil hat section or maybe this is Chris Ann Hall's opinion piece. But I want to give you a little bit of education about how Juneteenth has come about, about how the federal government and why the federal government would be possibly pushing the Juneteenth issue. Because there's a history here that we have not been taught that is really, and I believe, Chris Ann Hall opinion section, I believe is being used to manipulate the people into a very dangerous mindset. So why don't we start at the beginning? The beginning is first and foremost understanding that July 4th, 1776 is not our Independence Day. Our Independence Day is actually July 2nd, 1776. July 2nd, 1776 is the day that the Lee Resolution was ratified in the Continental Congress. Okay, um, We have a picture for you. It looks like some notes scribbled on a paper. This is actually the Lee, beginning of the Lee Resolution. Now, it's called the Lee Resolution because it was proposed by a delegate from the colony of Virginia by the name of Richard Henry Lee. And this is actually the first Continental Congress. On June 7, 1776, the Continental Congress met to discuss and debate this whole independence issue. June 7, 1776 is the time when Richard Henry Lee proposed the Lee Resolution to the Continental Congress. Now, because the Continental Congress was a, an elected body, they didn't vote on the Lee Resolution on June 7th. They took the issue home to their constituents, discussed it with their constituents, and they brought back their vote on July 2nd, 1776. And on July 2nd, 1776, the Lee Resolution was read into the record. 
resolved that these three united colonies are and of right ought to be free and independent states, that they are absolved from all allegiance to the British crown, and that all political connection between them and the state of Great Britain is and ought to be totally dissolved. That it is expedient and forthwith to take the most effectual measures for forming foreign alliances. And finally, that a plan of confederation, that's not a racist word, the plan that a plan of, the con, of confederation be prepared and transmitted to the respective colonies for their consideration and approbation. The Lee Resolution on July 2nd, 1776 was debated, voted, and ratified into law. July 2nd, 1776, our independence became a matter of law. Not because a bunch of rich elite white guys met at a pub and decided they wanted to overthrow their government so they could consolidate, consolidate power to themselves and oppress minorities. No, it was quite the opposite, actually. At Liberty First Society, we have a whole history that shows you what this was all about, how it was about ending slavery in the American colonies to be states. It was about rights for all, and they meant all, men, women, red, white, black, yellow, whatever. If you need to know that history, if you doubt what I'm saying, then you need to know that history, and you can get that at libertyfirstsociety.com. But let me read to you what John Adams wrote to his wife, Abigail, on July 3rd, 1776. And I quote, The second day of July, 1776, will be the most memorable epoch in the history of America. I am apt to believe that it will be celebrated by succeeding generations as the great anniversary festival. It ought to be commemorated as the day of deliverance, July 2nd, 1776. The day of deliverance by solemn acts of devotion to God Almighty. It ought to be solemnized with pomp and parade, with shows and games and sports, guns, bells, bonfires, and illuminations from one end of this continent to the other, from this time forward forevermore. July 2nd, 1776 is our Independence Day. And that's the day that we were expected to celebrate independence. Now, if you want to know this history, uh, the Pathway to Liberty course at libertyfirstsociety.com is one of the courses that we have on our uh, curriculum that will teach you about this Independence Day on July 2nd, 1776. So what you need to understand is that July 2nd, 1776, by the people who declared it, was Independence Day. And so it was until June 28, 1870. June 28, 1870 is the day the federal government declared July 4th to be our Independence Day. July 4th being the day not we became not that we became independent but July 4th being the day we announced, we publicly declared the independence we had created two days prior. Go read the last paragraph 
of the Declaration of Independence. It says we solemnly publish and declare. Not we become, we solemnly publish and declare what we had done two days prior. Our founders knew the Declaration of Independence was going to be published, and yet they still declared that July 2nd would be our Independence Day. On June 28, 1870, our federal government declared that July 4th should be our Independence Day. Now, this is Chris Ann Hall's opinion piece portion. You see, when the federal government can declare a holiday, they have designed the holiday, then you thank the federal government for that holiday, right? You glorify the federal government for that holiday. So if you remain July 2nd as the holiday when the event actually occurred, then you might actually be drawn to the historical events of July 2nd. You might actually get a curiosity that goes and takes you into reading what John Adams wrote on July 3rd, into reading what they said at the First Continental Congress, in reading what their motivation was to actually be independent, in reading that, right? In reading that. But if you can disassociate the holiday from the event and make a new hero, the federal government, and then you put in the power of the federal government to determine when the holiday is. Well, lo and behold, 150 years later, the federal government who created the first holiday, right, can create a new one, a Juneteenth holiday. A Juneteenth holiday where you are taught that the only reason African-Americans are free in America is because the federal government made them so. See, then you don't get curious about why the federal government was still enforcing slavery after it was actually outlawed. I mean, how many people do you know out there? No, actually, that the federal government continued to enforce slavery after it was outlawed. You won't be curious to know how the Constitution actually ended slavery and that it was politicians in the federal government that prolonged slavery. You won't be curious to know about all the African-American founders of the American Constitutional Republic that were free, that were entrepreneurs, that were patriots, that were heroes, philanthropists, citizens prior to the Emancipation Proclamation. No, you will be inclined to believe that the only reason people are free in America is because the federal government made them so. You'll be inclined to believe that every minority in America was oppressed and had no role in forming America until the federal government gave them their blessing to be free. And you'll never know. It's actually the federal government that declared men property, not the Constitution that it was actually the federal government that enforced slavery on free states. 
And you'll be forced to believe then then our founders were people who hated minorities and exploited them in a majority, which is simply not true. All of that by design to do two things. To create Americans' hatred for the Constitution and to create American love and worship and dependency on the federal government. So if the federal government can create, you know, July 4th as an Independence Day, why can't the federal government just go ahead and declare Juneteenth as a as as the Independence Day? I mean, they created the first one, so surely they can just create the second one. And then while they're creating the second one, why have two? Just get rid of the one, you know. Meanwhile, revising history. Meanwhile, brainwashing generations. Meanwhile, glorifying themselves and creating in themselves a power unlimited and a dependency of the people unmatched in America. Jefferson said we will transform our central government into the very government we declared independence from. When you do not know your history, you are doomed to repeat its mistakes. And in my humble opinion, celebrate Juneteenth all you want. But the real purpose of the federal government encouraging and even mandating the celebration of this through holidays where people don't go to work. Right? Oh, wow. Look at that. The federal government, not only by creating the holiday, emancipated you from work for a day. What a bunch of what what a, bad, a bunch of saviors they are. They're training up our children into believing the federal government is our savior. So, like I said, there are consequences to what we believe. There are consequences to how we act. There are consequences for even the small things that we allow government to do to which they are not authorized. Just something to think about, my little Juneteenth segment. Now, Christian has started creating Liberty Clips. I'm going to take this minute right now for Christian to share with you a Liberty Clip. The Liberty Clips will be posted um, daily, and they are just short clips from these shows that you can share with other people to encourage them to follow our broadcasts. So go ahead, Christian, and give us that clip. What is the business of government in things that are not illegal? Well, the answer to that question is none. Oh, <laughs> welcome back. Sorry, getting used to the whole clip thing. <laughs> it didn't work. Oh, no. What happened, Christian? Hmm? Uh-oh. All right. Well, we're working on the bugs. These are new things that we're doing, so... You have to give us a bypass on this, and we'll we'll get it done. Maybe Christian can get it working again before the end of the show. Is that something you can do? Can we play it at the end? 
You're about to find out. Thank you so very much. All right. So I want to talk to you about this Supreme Court case, Carson v. Macon. Carson v. Macon is a very important Supreme Court opinion, not just by what it does, but what it's going to be perceived to do. And I will tell you quite honestly, the greatest dangers that come out of our Supreme Court opinions today are not what they actually do, but what they're perceived to do, right? With the whole Roe v. Wade thing. Um, Yeah, uh, what people are saying it's going to do, what people are perceiving it's going to do is really worse than what it really is. And that's what is happening with Carson v. Macon. Now, I don't know if you're actually hearing about this at all. I haven't seen a bunch of stuff in the news about it, but I haven't really been looking through the mainstream media as in regard to this particular case because I always go straight to the Supreme Court case and read it and design the truth so you guys can see what it is. Now, Carson v. Macon is about the Supreme Court overturning a a main law that says, well, not let me let me let me sort of back up. They didn't actually overturn the law. So Maine has a law that says state funds cannot be applied to non-sectarian programs. And what that means is you can't use tax dollars to fund religious activities. And what happened is there are some counties in Maine, some places in Maine that don't have the funding for government school. And because the Maine Constitution requires that each child in the state of Maine have access to free K through 12 education, it's in the Constitution, so it is a right And because these areas didn't have government school, the state of Maine is sending out vouchers. Vouchers to parents to pay for the private schools in their areas because there is no government school alternative. Now, what Maine, the state of Maine said was, you can have this voucher to pay for your schooling because there is no government school there, but... You cannot use this voucher in a religious school because our law says that tax dollars cannot fund non-sectarian activities. Now, the Supreme Court said, yes, we agree with that law as a matter of separation of church and state, but we don't agree in this particular application. Okay, so what the Supreme Court has said is, yes, the state government cannot mandate participation through tax dollars in religious activities. However, if there is a program paid for by tax dollars 
where private citizens choose to use religious schools. So the going to religious schools is wholly as a result of their own genuine and independent choice. That's what the Supreme Court said. Then it doesn't violate the Establishment Clause. Now, if the state was handing out money to a church and a church alone to fund a religious activity, then that would violate the law. But where the parents are getting the money and they're given a choice, you can go to this secular private school, you can go to this religious private school, because the Supreme Court said it's a genuine and independent choice, wholly belonging to the parent, that the state cannot restrict that funding. Cannot. Now, it's a difference between private citizen choice and direct government funding. And right now, there's a bunch of people out there going, huzzah, huzzah, yay, 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 right? School choice. Here's the danger. Because you see, it's one thing to have equal application under the law. I mean, that's really what this falls down under. If you're going to give it to people to use in secular schools, you have to, under equal application of the law, give it to people who, who choose religious schools. That is the truth. But you see, it's the misunderstanding of separation of church and state that really causes people to cheer over this. This is not something we should be rejoicing over. Yes, it's equal application of the law. Yes, we should always rejoice over equal application of the law. But the schools, the religious schools, have an obligation to refuse this money. And I know somebody's going, wait, wait, what? The religious schools must refuse this money. They absolutely must. And there is a very important reason that is so. And the reason somebody would say, wait, wait, what? Is because we haven't taught the proper application of separation of church and state in America in a very, very long time. Separation of church and state is not the invention of Thomas Jefferson in his 1802 letter to the Danbury Baptists. No. In our Liberty First Society course, the history of the Constitution, the genealogy of the Constitution, I actually show you where in British law this principle of separation of church and state was first codified. And it's right here in what the a religious, I'm sorry, a government charter, a, a contract, a constitution of England in 1100 called the 1100 Charter of Liberties. Now I'm going to read it to you really quick. I think Christian's got it up there on the screen for you. Know that by the mercy of God, this is, these are the words of King Henry I in 1100. Know that by the mercy of God and the common council of the barons of the whole kingdom of England, I have been crowned king of said kingdom 
And because the kingdom has been oppressed by unjust exactions, I, through the fear of God and the love which I have toward you all, in the first place make the holy church of God free. Okay, this is what separation of church and state is. What you have to understand is in the 1100 Charter of Liberties, King Henry is making a promise to the people that the government will never be evil and oppressive again. He makes a list of 14 things that the government's not allowed to do because in those actions, the government has become evil and oppressive. And the first thing he says is that the government cannot influence the church. If your government is involved in your church, if your government is influencing your church in any way, you have an evil and oppressive government. Separation of church and state. For over a thousand years has always meant that the government has no business influencing your faith, your conscience, your church. It has never meant until our most recent bout of, of ignorance and education that God has no place in public discussion and your faith has no business in politics. That is error. That is deception. That is the Marxist plot to make us all faithless. You remove faith, then government has all the power they want. And what this money from Maine to religious schools will do is violate separation of church and state. And you have to understand, separation of church and state is not a command on government. The maintenance of separation of church and state is a command on the church and the people of the church. It is your duty to keep government out of your church. It is your duty to keep government out of your conscience. It is your duty. It is not the duty of government to restrain itself. It's the duty of the church and the duty of the people to say, no, this is a no trespassing zone for government. And the minute these Christian schools take this money from the government, especially in this situation where they're fulfilling the role of government as commanded by the Constitution, these Christian schools in Maine who take this money will be quasi-governmental actors. By taking this money that wholly funds the education of these children, by taking government money, you can call it tax dollars, but we stopped calling it our own money centuries ago when we allowed the government to call it revenue and then decide where it goes and compel charity. When you take tax dollars, which the government feels is its own money, and you fund something with government money, you now become a government agent. If the government is signing and sealing your paycheck, you work for the government. Period. And when you work for the government, the government will have a right to regulate and dictate what you teach, how you teach, 
who does your teaching and who you teach it to. And that is a fact, ladies and gentlemen. That is an absolute fact. And then what happens? These Christian schools become addicted to the government money. They can no longer run unless they're getting government funding. And then when the government says, whoa, whoa, wait a minute now, you're receiving funding from us to do this. So you can't teach this Bible thing. You've got to teach evolution. You've got to teach evolution in addition to the Bible. You have, you can't just teach creationism. Oh, wait a minute now. Um, you can't teach children that, that homosexuality is a sin because you're taking government money, right? You can't teach that. You're going to have to teach that that we must embrace all, that everybody has a choice and, and everybody can do what what they want with their bodies and be who they want with their bodies. Oh, you, you can't teach that we are fearfully and wonderfully made and that God doesn't make mistakes. You've got to teach that, you know, God does make mistakes, but that's okay because the government is here to fix God's mistake. We'll give you money for your, your hormones and your surgery. And you can't tell children they can't be who they, who they want to be. You can't, tell parents, oh, wait, you had a homosexual teacher apply to your school? You can't discriminate in employment law practices. Wait, what do you mean you are a religious educational facility and you are exempt from the Civil Rights Act from Title VII? No, I'm sorry. You're receiving government money to fund your school. You are now subject to Title VII anti-discrimination laws. And before you know it, you're not even a religious school at all. You see this a trap. It is a trap, ladies and gentlemen. It is not a gift. It is not a benefit. It is not a blessing from God. Do not call this a blessing from God. This is a snare to religious liberty, a snare to end religious liberty in the state of Maine. So if you are interested in learning more about this, you need to take my religious liberty class at libertyfirstsociety.com because I will break it down for you. The truth will be undeniable. And before I have a bunch of people with their panties in a wad talking about how Chris Ann Hall is opposed to school choice, because I don't, I do not promote, nor do I endorse, and yes, I speak against voucher systems for this very reason. I'm not opposed to school choice. I'm trying to maintain and protect and defend school choice. We have school choice in America. You can choose to send your child to a private school. You can choose to send your child to a government school. You can choose to send your child to a Christian school. You can choose to homeschool your child. This is not Germany where you go to prison for homeschooling children. America does not lack school choice. America lacks parental priorities. I know many, personally, know many people who grew up with single mothers 
who worked themselves in sacrifice to their children so their children could go to private school, so their children could have a better education. That is a parental priority. That is a parental choice. But we have parents who are more concerned about a three-bedroom, two-bath house in an affluent neighborhood with a flat-screen TV in every room and a cell phone in every hand and two cars in the garage. Who would rather have a vacation every year than to free their children from the government brainwash centers. That is a choice. That is a choice. And I'm still bewildered and bewondered by the number of conservative parents who jump up and down about government welfare and then still send their children to public government schools. Education welfare, that's what government schools are. Education welfare, robbing from everybody in the community to pay for your education. Same way as taking money by force to pay for people's housing and taking money by force to pay for people's other things. Government education welfare. That's what government school is. And a conservative American who is opposed to the forceful taking of money to pay for other people's things You ought to understand that's exactly what K through 12 government education is. Now, if you're okay with that, then you're okay with that. But don't complain about it on one hand and then worship it in the other. So this case, this case is not a blessing. Legally, Carson v. Macon, legally. It's the only decision that can be made. Morally and defensively, it is up to the Christian parents and the Christian schools to protect the liberty of religious education. And by the way, do you trust God, Christian school? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Look at the sparrow. He doesn't worry, doesn't toil. Look at the grass in the field. Here today, gone tomorrow. Look at the lily in the valley. Even Solomon in his day was never dressed in such an array. How much more will your Father in heaven provide to you, O ye of little faith? Why are you, as a Christian school, running to government? Why are you, as a Christian, running to government to pay for your Christian education? I'll tell you why. Because you lack faith. And as a Christian school that is supposed to be teaching the truth and principles of faith in God, you have no right to call yourself a Christian school if you're running around begging for government money. I don't want to be harsh. I don't mean to be, but I do mean to be real. Because your life and your liberty and the liberty of your children and their lives depends on it. Well, that's the wrap up for that today. Christian, raise your hand if you think I ticked some people off today. 
It's like, yeah. Uh, I, I have to give you some tough love every now and again, right? We've got to hear the truth because you're not going to get it from the people who are handing out money. They're handing out the money to be a snare to you. That's what they're handing out money for, to snare and entangle you into dependence. That's what it's for. So trust God and be free if that's what you believe. If government is your savior, savior, go ahead and worship government, but you'll be enslaved before too long if you're not already. Christian, we, did we get that video up working? All right. Well, how about on our way out before you do the exit? Okay, before you do the exit, whatever we're video we're playing for the exit, go ahead and play that clip. Now, Christian's creating these clips. Uh, so honor his work by helping us share these clips when you see them. They will be published here on Rumble and DLive and Twitch. They will be published on um, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Facebook. So uh, thank you, Christian, for these clips. And Christian's going to put up today's clip, and then we're going to enter and exit out. So I will just simply say to you now, see you later. What is the business of government in things that are not illegal? Well, the answer to that question is none. None yet. If I'm not doing anything illegal, it's none of your stinking business. I just, I, it's flabbergasted. This is overreach. This is government so far beyond its boundaries. It's as if the boundaries no longer even exist. And they're so bold and so blatant about it because I think they realize, or, or well, let me correct that. I think they believe that the vast majority of the American people are so vastly, deeply uneducated, miseducated, because you see, they're the purveyors of disinformation, and they've been so since 1833. Government schools have been the, the have been the purveyors of disinformation, of lies, of untruth in the educated minds of the American people since 1833. Just saying. We hold these truths to be self-evident. That all men are created equal and endowed by their creator with certain alienable rights. We have a power. And we've raised a spoiled 